Amen. Well, praise God. Pastor Brad started a uh, theme over the past month, and it's been about the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And, of course, we know in Matthew 28 that God tells us, Jesus came and told us that we're to go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is our call. That is the commission of every person in Christ, of every saved person to expand the kingdom of God. And I want to go through some uh, scriptures with you this morning of why that is important. Why is soul winning important? And so we're going we're gonna to hit seven different areas. Why is soul winning important? And even this morning as you're thinking, well, isn't that the job of the pastor? Isn't that the job of the evangelist? Isn't that the job of the fivefold ministry? No, it's the job of every saved person, every person that's received Jesus Christ and received the good news. It's, I've said before, if you had something great and it was something that would set someone else free, then why would be so, we, we would be so selfish to hold it to ourselves and not allow anyone else to be part of this great news? And of course, we want to go through this morning, we're, we're going to hit seven reasons why this is important. And number one, we're just going to jump right into it. Number one, the sacrifice of our Lord on the cross cannot be in vain. The sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross cannot be in vain. You know, God said in John 3.16 that he loved the world so much that he gave what? His only son, his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life, everlasting life. That means we don't face, uh, Brother Dom's been teaching the Revelation class on Monday nights. We're going to be wrapping that up soon. We've had about, what, almost, by the end, it'll be almost 12 classes, I think, and everlasting life there are some that will face a second death not just a physical death on this earth but a second death of hell and so God is depending on us as his ambassadors to reach the lost and to bring people into the kingdom of God because he's not using angels he's not coming down himself Jesus Christ already came down and did his part by by redeeming mankind with his blood and purchasing mankind back, forgiving all of their sins, nailing every trespass that stood against us on the cross so that we could have eternal life, so that we don't face a second death. That's an awesome thing. Well, he gave his son so that could be given to us. We don't want him to go to the cross in vain. When there are people that are around us, they've never heard the good news. And if you ask them, do you know of Jesus Christ? Do you know what he's done for you? Do you know that you're loved? Do you know that he has a special plan for you? Do you know that he shed his blood for you? There are many that would say, no, I've never heard that. I don't know that. And then there are some that, that they only know a hard father. They don't know a, a father that would give everything to give his most precious son. The most precious thing. And you know, it is God with us, Emmanuel. 
And when you really think about it, think about this for a moment. God came in flesh. He himself came in flesh and put himself on the cross for you, for me, for a world out there that's lost. That was God himself. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. He loved us so much that that's what he did. He gave his life for you. Romans 8.32 even talks about how he did not spare his own son but gave him up. And how will he not give us all good things? You know, it's not just... You know, sometimes we think, yeah, he gave us Jesus, but what about the, the other things in life? He doesn't, he doesn't care about the little things. He does. He cares about every aspect of our life. Is that not good news to, sh- to share? I mean, when we talk about salvation, it means our health. It means our, our finances, our prosperity. It means everything in our life, our deliverance. It means peace, the mental peace. Salvation means completeness and wholeness of everything in us. Everything that our life is, he wants us to be whole. He wants us to to be completely restored. That is good news to share. Praise God. So the sacrifice of our Lord on the cross should not and cannot be in vain. That is the number one reason, first of all, of why soul winning is important. Number two is the value of a soul. The value of a soul. In Genesis 1, it talks about how God said, let us make man in our image and let them rule over the earth. Let them have dominion over the earth. And so he makes man in his own image. He doesn't make man as an animal. He doesn't make man this, you know, other creature that doesn't resemble God, that's not made in the image of God. He makes you in his image, in his likeness. That means the emotions, the feelings, the mind. You're a thinking individual. You think you have a brain. You have emotions. You have desires. You have passions. Those things came from God because God has those things too. Animals don't have those things. They might have a a limited amount of intellect, but they are not thinking beings as we are. You are made in his image. You are valuable. In fact, turn over to Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 10. While you're turning there, let me just finish this, this thought. Genesis 1 says that God created man in his own image. In chapter 2, he goes on and he says that he formed man by the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The very breath of God, the very spirit, because that's what the breath is, is the spirit. His spirit was breathed into man. He loves us so much. You are so valuable. But it's not enough that we keep that to ourselves and say, okay, I, I, I get it, I'm valuable. 
What about the value of life that's outside these four walls? The value of life of that coworker that aggravates you every day. <laughs> the value of life of that person that you're with in the workforce or that you're with whether you run into Walmart, that family member that you get along so well with but you're, you're afraid to minister the gospel to them or that family member that agitates you because they're nosy but they still need Jesus. They still need Jesus. And, and you might sit there and think, yeah, but they just get on my nerves. But I can tell you something, getting on your nerves is not as bad as hell. They still deserve to hear the gospel. Someone loved you enough to tell you the gospel. Someone loved you enough to sow that seed in you. Someone loved you enough to care, to step out of their comfort zone and give you the good news of Jesus Christ. You are valuable, and someone else saw you as valuable enough to tell you about Christ. Isn't that awesome? It's so wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody told me about Christ. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. He prepared you as a masterpiece. He prepared you to have good works. And he prepared those things before in advance. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. And when we don't come to Christ, those purposes and those plans get perverted. Because the enemy tries to use those purposes and those plans in a way that does not glorify God. It lifts up man. And so we have a world that, that they're trying to find their way. They're trying to find their purpose. They're trying to find who they are. But they think satisfying themselves and going out and trying to lift themselves up and promote themselves or to boast of themselves. Or if I just constantly get knowledge, if I constantly begin to, to go after the next promotion, the next thing, the next fame, the next level uh, of a raise or a bonus, the next title, then I'll have done something. But all of those things, they won't matter in the end. Whether or not we know God, whether or not we come to Jesus Christ, whether or not we know him as our Savior and we receive him, that's what will matter. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? That's what be that matters. And then when we talk about the Bema seat of Christ, we're talking about the works what we do, that masterpiece part, that prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The things that he calls us to do, the purposes and the plans that he has for us. If we carry those out, then we'll be rewarded for those good things. Well, there are people on the other side of your obedience that they need to know this too. They need to have that opportunity to know their value in Christ, to know what they were created to do. There are people out there that they have that void, and they're like searching, and they think, if I just do enough good works, if I just give enough to charity, if I just volunteer, if and I help, then that should be good, and my good works will outweigh my bad. But that's not what it's based upon. 
Because we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we've all sinned. And the consequences or the, the wages of sin is death. So without Christ, none of us go to heaven, no matter how many good works we've done. But the great thing about it is once we come to know Christ, then his purposes and his plans can then be utilized. They can then shine through us. They can, they, they've been redeemed. They're no longer for the enemy to use. They're for God to use for his glory, for his kingdom. Amen. So the value of a soul. Every person has a deposit from God in them, and that's why they fill that void without him. You can be used to reach that person that you're with every day to help them find that void in their life, to help them fill that void through Christ. Number three, number three is the briefness of life, the briefness or shortness of life. Life is short. In fact, it talks about in the Bible in James, it says that life is but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. Life is very short. We may not feel like that when we're 18, you know, but once you, once you hit a certain mark and you feel like, okay, I'm halfway done. Or, you know, you're, you're hit that point where you're just like, man, I only have like so much time left. Not that you know exactly, but you understand what I'm saying. And you're like, life is short. It's but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow, and then there's another generation behind. What are we doing now to reach this generation? What are we doing now to, to reach those around us? Some people's lives are cut short. And as a result, they don't come to know Jesus Christ. What can we do? You know, sometimes God will lay people on your heart to pray for. You may not have any connection with them. You may not know them. I have had celebrities laid on my heart before, and I have no idea if they received Jesus Christ before they died or not. But I knew God was just laying them there for me to pray for. One in particular died last year. And I was like, why am I thinking about this person? And it was within a week, within a week if not shorter, and that person was dead. And I was like, now I know why they were laid on my heart to pray for them. Life is short. First Peter 1, let's turn to First Peter. First Peter 1, 24 and 25. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and all its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So man is like grass, and his glory is like the flower that falls. It fades. This life fades away. But there's an eternal life that we all will live. 
in either heaven or hell. If we receive Jesus Christ and we live for him, then we have the, the confidence of knowing that we will spend our eternity with him. And that is a peace that you cannot replace. And that's the thing. Sometimes we can be living our Christian life and forget what it's like to be living in a place of unpeace and unrest because you don't know. You don't know what happens. Or, or you live in a mindset where you've developed your own theology because there's cultures all around the world, they develop their own theology of what happens after, after life. What happens at death? Because they've got to explain it somehow. So they'll make things up to pass down from generation to generation. But because of the word of God, we know. We know what happens in eternity. And when you have that surety, share it with someone else. Allow them to have that same peace of mind. Number four. There is a reality of an eternal hell. The reality of eternal hell. Let's turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that will never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maim, lame than, rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, it's interesting because it talks in all three of those verses, their worm does not die. I know it's kind of grotesque, but that word there is not T-H-E-R-E as in there. It's there as in possession there. Their worm does not die. That means there's, there's worms that will be eating people's bodies for eternity. And the fire is not quenched. The fire never goes out. This is what we face without Christ. This is what we face without living a life in Christ. There's many misconceptions. People think hell is a big party. The world oftentimes talks about hell, about how they're going to party with, with all their friends. That's not what goes on in hell. Their teeth are clenched. There's gnashing of teeth. The fire is constantly burning and it's hot. There's never any relief. The Bible even talks about a man that wanted just a drop of water. And then he said, go tell my brothers so that they don't have to come here. And he was told, your brothers, if they won't listen to the law of Moses... 
They're not going to listen to me. We have to tell what is truth in the word of God. There is a reality of hell. And the fire never dies. It is never quenched. And man, fire and brimstone used to be preached in churches all the time. I don't know, maybe we need to do a message on it. A message on heaven and a message on hell. Because I think that there's a, this, this idea now that just God is love and there's never, there's never any understanding of what the consequence of, of living in eternity without God. And people don't know. And many won't, they, they won't have the opportunity because they've never been told. But that's why God calls us an ambassador. As though he's making his appeal through us. I remember a time we were in uh, Maui. We had moved there shortly before. We were eating at a, a restaurant in Paia, Paia Fish Market. In fact, Greg, Greg was there. So he, which it was half the size when you were in it, it had already expanded. It used to be half that size. So when you would go in, it was very, I mean, it's difficult n enough now to get a table unless you go in the, um, during the times that, that it's not rush hour for people eating lunch and dinner. But if you're going at those times, it's very difficult to find a table to yourself. So a lot of times you just find uh, a table, you sit down with someone else, you don't even know them, and that's just how it is in that restaurant. And so everybody knows you just find a spot and you sit down. Well, we had sat down with this, this Buddhist... Um, yeah, he was the head of the Buddhist temple in Maui, or Lahaina. And so he was, he was elderly. He was in his 70s. But I knew in my spirit, this is the last time he'll have the opportunity to hear the word of the Lord. It was the last moment he would ever have to receive salvation. And I knew it in my spirit. And I, tr I, I, I began to ask him, do you know that God loves you? Do you know Jesus? Has anybody ever told you what Jesus has done for you? And, of course, he was just in that, you know, oh, you know, it's wonderful that you're so passionate about it. And, yeah, I think God is a, is a wonderful, uh, you know, concept and idea. And it was just like the reality of it was not hitting him. And I remember... Just within myself, I was like pleading for him. And I just, I, I continued. In fact, the guy that was with him, his, 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 the one that he was bringing up, he was getting annoyed with me. Like he was frustrated with me because I kept continuing to, to minister to him and kept t continuing to try to, to talk to him about Jesus. But I knew it was his last moment. And he still rejected it. And he'd say, I can see that you're very passionate about it. But what he didn't understand was that was Jesus' passion for him. And he didn't receive it. And still today, you know, I don't know if he's still living or not. I kind of doubt it. Because that was 10 years ago. It's probably longer than that. But God will send people into people's path for a purpose, for a plan, for them to be reaped as a, as a soul for the kingdom of God, to take them out of the clutches of the enemy. 
It's their decision. But I tell you, I don't want to be responsible with blood on my hands. We have to do our part. Number five, earthly things will pass away. Number five, earthly things will pass away. In Isaiah 51, verse 6, it says, Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Earthly things will pass away. These things that people chase after now, the, the, whether it, it's prestige, fame, titles, possessions, material things, cars, whatever it is, those things will pass away, and they'll have nothing to do with eternity. And in those moments, we'll have to give an account. Did I chase after these things? Or did I give my all to Jesus? And see, there's, there's people that are running after things, and they think that every one of these things is going to give them happiness. It's going to fill this void. If I can just get this other car, if I can just get this other possession, if I can just get, you know, this, this position, this place, this uh, title, if I can just get this level of education, then I'll feel fulfilled. But they still, if I can just get this much money, but the thing is, it's never enough. You never arrive. You never get to a place where you sit back and put your feet up and say, I've done it, I've arrived, and I'm completely happy now. Because there's always one more level. There's always one more thing that, that's ahead of you that you haven't got. There's not the fulfillment without Christ. All those things will pass away. But only Jesus Christ, his word and heaven will remain. So those things that, and we all have to do that at times. We all have to stop and evaluate. Where's my heart? Am I placing certain things in, in, in a priority that shouldn't be there? We all have to stop and evaluate. And that's why I, I, I think vacations are so important. Because we can get in, in such a rush sometimes that we don't stop and think. We don't stop and evaluate. We don't stop and just say, you know what, I'm going to take this week and I'm just going to put some thought into, you know, what's, what's misprioritized in my life? What do I need to change? Am I, am I sticking to my values? Am I sticking to the things, the purposes and the plans? Have I gotten off course any? Have I allowed this to creep in? And it may not be a bad thing. It could be something that's godly, but it might not be exactly what you're called to, and you're not putting all your energy into one area. Earthly things will pass away. Nobody gets to take all their possessions with them to heaven or hell. The only thing that goes is what is done in the kingdom of God. Did you win souls? Did you help your church? 
Did you continue to, to work the vision of God? That's why we give people opportunity to serve, because you're not serving man. In a, in a, a sense, you are, but, but that's not the, the highest. The highest thing that you're serving is God. When we serve, I mean, even when we would be in Maui, we would do everything we could to make uh, Dr. and Pastor Colleen's life easier. During conferences, we would go up to their house to serve and, and help clean and, and do all of the bedrooms before all the pastors and ministers came in and mow the yard and cut down trees and, and do all of these things. Why? Because it was a service to them and it helped them in their position of ministry better. It's a way that we served God. These things will matter. Oh, but I'm just, I'm just weed eating. Yes, but you're doing it. So someone can minister at a, at a better and a more effective way. Some people don't realize that all these things they're chasing after will pass away. Number six, the enemy has blinded many. The enemy has blinded many. First, or, sorry, not first Corinthians, second Corinthians Chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I told you 2 Corinthians, and then I turned to 1 Corinthians. I'm like, that's not it. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Let's, let's go ahead and read verse 3 as well. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. That's the enemy. That's Satan. He is the God of this age. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. There is a spiritual war that is at work. And the God of this age, Satan himself, blinds the minds of unbelievers. That they, when they don't know and they don't understand, until they're ready to receive Christ, when they pray a prayer and ask Jesus to become part of their life and ask him into their heart and he becomes their Lord. I don't know if you experience it, but it's like sometimes people can experience that salvation like I just feel different and I can't explain it. I feel lighter. I feel like I'm, I'm clean. I feel like my eye, when I read the word of God now, it's just different for me. I can read the word of God and feel like I'm getting something out of it where I read it before and I couldn't. That's because there's a, a veil that covers the minds of unbelievers. Spiritually. Now, the more we go after God, the more things that can be revealed and opened up to us. But because there's a, a spiritual blindness, somebody's got to tell them. Somebody has to be the person that goes and, and, and says there's, there's a God that loves you. He has sent his son to wipe away every sin, to cleanse you, to make you whole. That very thing you've been desiring, that very thing you've been wanting, he can feel that. He can be that in your life. He can be uh, the God that changes things, heals you, turns your life around, and gives you a hope and a future. 
But somebody's got to be the one to tell him. First Peter 5.8 also talks about how the enemy roams around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Paul talks about how we are not to be outwitted by Satan, but we're to, we're to not be ignorant of his schemes. But the thing is, there's a lot of people that are ignorant of his schemes. And even, I mean, even Christians can become ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. They don't realize, well, I'm getting ready to go to, to church, and all of a sudden somebody calls me and says, oh, don't go. Do this with me. And they don't even realize that's, that's a scheme. That that phone call was made right at the right moment to get you distracted so you wouldn't go. That phone call was made right at the right moment so you wouldn't go hang out with your Christian friends. You would go hang out with the worldly friends, and then now you're stuck at a party, and now, oh, well, one beer won't matter. One hit won't matter. Those are schemes, and if we don't understand, we'll be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. Number seven, last one, the heart of the Father or the love of the Father. Obviously, we know that God is not willing that any would perish. He desires that all come to receive eternal life. Turn to Luke 15. Luke 15. This, this parable amazes me, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But this parable has so much depth to it. The prodigal son. It starts at verse 11. And of course, we see the boy that he runs off and he wants to do his own thing. Father, give me my inheritance now. He goes out. He squanders it all. He ends up in the, in the mud pit with a bunch of pigs. And he's like, even my father's house is better than this. As a servant, I'll go back home and just ask him if I can just be a servant. And, and maybe he'll receive me back. So he starts heading back home. And then he, it's amazing. In verse 20, it says, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. His father saw him. How did he see him? He was looking for him. He wasn't inside the house. He wasn't, and, and that's my, my point this morning. He, he wasn't just, well, you know, church is enough, and I just check my, my, my check mark off, and I say, oh, well, I did my, my uh, Christian duty this week. I went to church. Do you know church is for our growth in discipleship and to encourage one another? It's to grow us so that we can learn so that we can be strengthened by one another. Another, those that, that maybe they're having a great week and they can strengthen someone else that's going through a difficult time. But we're all here to learn greater in the word of God. That's what church is. We come together and we learn and grow. But then we're to go out. The commission is to save souls. The commission is to bring the lost in. So when that father saw his son from afar off, 
He was looking for him. He wasn't inside the house. He was outside the house. Are you getting what I'm saying? He was outside the four walls. He was outside the building. That's where we have to reach the lost. Many times we're just hoping they, they come into the church and then they'll, they'll get saved and then pastor can do it. Pastor will, will uh, take care of that. We're an army together. We're all ambassadors. And sometimes we can be like, yeah, but I don't know what to say. Just share your heart. Just be, just be you. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be uh, someone that's eloquent in words. Paul said, I'm not even eloquent in words, but I came in power. Well, I don't know if I have the power. You have the power. It's living in you. Yes, I knew Amanda was going. She's got that song going through her, through her head. I got the power. Those of us that were raised in that generation. <coughs> But you do have the power, and it's living within you. It's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He'll give you the words to stay. If you just step out and say, you know what, I'm going to minister to this person. I'm going I'm to say something about Jesus. I'm going to tell them what Jesus has done in my life. And then you just begin to talk with them. Just be real with them. Tell them about your experience with Jesus. Tell them about how he healed your life, how he transformed you, how he changed you, where you were and where you're at now. When they see that come alive in you, then they say, I want that. I want that. You know, minister, can you go ahead and come to the keyboard? And we're going to be taking communion uh, here in just a moment as well. It's communion Sunday, so don't get your mind already like, okay, she's wrapping up. But I was originally going to preach about um, Samuel and, and David. And, you know, there was a point in time when Samuel... He was mourning because of what had happened with Saul, if you know the story. If you don't, read it in, in 1 Samuel. But Saul had, Saul was not going after the heart of God, and he was he worried more about what men thought. He was worried more about pleasing man than he was God. And after a couple of pretty big mistakes, Samuel went to him and said, the kingdom's being torn from you. And now God's after a man that's after his own heart, which was David. And Samuel goes home, and it says that he grieved all night because of this situation. Because this was their first king. And when you take it back a little bit, you think, Samuel was a boy. He was brought into the temple at a young age because his mom had dedicated him to the Lord. He, he was there by the Ark of the Covenant. God called him from the presence of the ark. And those were the moments when he was like running to Eli, the priest, and what'd you say, Eli, I'm here? And he's like, no, that's God calling you. Go back and say, speak, for your servant is listening. And so he got to experience the presence of God. And then he also got to experience when the ark of the covenant was carried out to war, when it shouldn't have been, and it was stolen and taken and, and taken into the Philistine camp. 
the, the presence of God departed. So he experienced that. Then he experienced a time when Israel wanted a king. He's like, that's not what God wants for you. But give us a king. We want a king. And God said, give him a king. So he gives him a king. And then Saul fails. He's the very first king, and he goes after his own, his own things. And then, and then it's that moment where everything looks like it's just getting worse and worse and worse. The glory is departed. We've got a king. He's not working out. He could care less about bringing the presence of God back home. And now he disobeys God. And what's interesting is God says to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? How long? Get your horn of oil and go. And he was saying, go anoint the young man that I have chosen, David. See, Samuel could have stayed in that place and grieved. Grieved the situation, grieved the moment, grieved in, in life is just getting worse and worse here in Israel. What about the presence of God? What's going on? I can't go. What if they find out? Then they'll kill me because I anointed a new king. He could have remained in fear. He could have remained in stagnation. He could have remained in the same place, but he didn't. He got the horn of oil. That horn represents strength. The oil represents the anointing. God is saying, get the anointing, which is the Holy Spirit that's in you, and go. That your strength is your life. Get the anointing in your life and go minister. Go tell those that haven't heard. Go reach those that need to be reached because they could be the next ones that reach a whole community. They could be the people that bring revival to their school. They could be the person that's bringing revival into their workplace. You don't know. You don't know what God's plan is for them. You don't know the plans and purposes, but you can tell them they've got a plan and a purpose because they were made as a masterpiece. We don't know what God's going to do through a person. But if we never reach them, it's on our hands. There are people that have been one to Christ. That we've just stepped out, led them to the Lord. There are those that are in ministry today reaching the lost. There are those that are in their communities involved in their local churches, reaching the lost. And if you would even try to calculate how many that's been won just through who people that we've won and they've won and then they've won. I can't even imagine the numbers because of obedience to bringing someone to Christ. That's what God's calling us to. It's too important to pass by. And one day we'll give an account. We must understand that the Great Commission is important.